Hey there, thanks for dropping in to listen to the Friday Reporter. I'm Lisa, your host, and for the last 25 years, I've worked in public affairs. And for those who don't know, that's where we take the hard questions for our clients from reporters. So to switch things up, I thought it'd be fun to flip things around. Remember that movie Freaky Friday where the characters traded places? You got it. That's the concept. So this time, we're going to ask reporters the questions. And we're going to have a little fun with it while we're at it. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for the Friday Reporter. I'm joined by one of my favorite and funniest friends who uh, writes and uh, does some remarkable reporting for the Washington Post, Alahe Azadi. Wow, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Long time. I know. <laughs> I know. At least at least 10 years since last March, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> I think we've all aged quite a bit. So Alahe, tell me a little bit about, I know uh, you've had uh, a great and and positive opportunity here in DC. You've been at the Post. You've been at National Journal. You've done some really great things. Tell me a little bit about how you got to be a journalist and uh, and some of the great things that you've done that you've enjoyed the most. Yeah, well, thanks for just even those kind words. <laughs> um, so I'm actually I'm from Maryland. I went to University of Maryland, and when I was in college, uh, the deadline for picking a major was coming up. So. I already knew I wanted to study history and I passed by the journalism building and I was like, hmm, I like writing. <laughs> Why don't I add that on there? And it seemed like a more uh, practical skill than perhaps an English degree would bestow. So I, I just kind of made, decided to study journalism without having had any experience with it, really. Um, but, you know, through the course of um, co- my college years and internships, I really came to love it and and see that it was like the right path for me. Um, so, yeah, I got into local journalism out of out of J school and I did a lot of local reporting in Maryland, um, mostly Maryland. Yeah. And then uh was writing for uh, the Gazette, RIP doesn't exist anymore. Mm, <laughs> the local, so many local... of those sad <laughs> stories. And, and actually, most of the places I used to work before don't exist anymore. Mm. <laughs> so I can say uh, the same about the politicians about I've worked for. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> we have that in common. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was working in local newspapers, worked for a local um, website startup. Um, I worked a little bit for WAMU, the NPR member station, um, in DC. Um, and then I came to national journal and that's when I kind of made the transition from local journalism to covering Congress and lobbying and politics. Um, so yeah, I did that for a few years and you know, what I realized is I'm the type of person who can be interested by almost anything. So it kind of didn't matter what I was covering. I would find a way to be interested by it. I didn't really think I would be interested in writing about lobbying and, and all these things, but I, I found a way to like, it just fascinated me. Sure. Um, and having this sort of like outsider perspective, because this wasn't my world, you know, right. people talk about like, oh, the DC bubble, and I'm from from around here, like, people I've known since I was a kid, since college, they live here, they they don't work in politics, they don't work in that world. So 
I don't know. I thought I could bring maybe a different perspective to all that. Um, and then, yeah, then I went to the post and I was like a general assignment reporter, which means I wrote about almost everything. And like, I think you mentioned, I, I, well, maybe you didn't yet. <laughs> I do yet, comedy. But I was about to girl. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I do comedy too. So I was able to be, and I was, I tried to be funny at national journal too, when I could. And sure. I, uh, um, yeah, I do comedy. And so I was writing really also some really ridiculous things at the post. Like <laughs> if I ever, if you ever read something where you're like, did the Washington Post really publish this like breakdown scene by scene of Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper performing at the Oscars? Like it was by me. Anything that's like. But it's so fun. It's like, it's total, <laughs> it's like total, uh, it's great journalism and it's, it's absolute like soul food. It's really good. It like just makes your belly warm. It feels so fun. And it's just refreshing in a city full of very serious things. Yeah. And if you, if it's uh, like, I took it out of the point of pride. If someone responded to one of those stories, like did the post really just publish this? I'm like, ah, yes, this is my special accomplishment. Accomplishment met. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I, I did general assignment for a few years, which means I also was covering a lot of breaking news. This was during the time of Ferguson, their Gardner um, case, like there were a lot of protests um, and there was also the Paris bombing. So I was also involved in the breaking news coverage around that, Ebola in Texas. Um, and then, yeah, and then I was writing about pop culture and comedy for like three years, I guess, four years. Um, and then the pandemic hit and uh, I switched beats again. Now I write about media. So I've <laughs> been so doing that for a year. That's so fun. It's kind of, it's a, it, it's, it is like being the investigative journalist for journalists though, right? I, I imagine sometimes it's a little bit hard to write about your colleagues. I was talking to a friend who's a pediatrician and I was trying to explain it to her. And I said, it feels like you're a pediatrician who only treats the children of other pediatricians. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. So it's kind of intense. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, the, the upshot is like, you know, people in your field are reading you. And then the downside is like, wow, people, everyone in your field, maybe not everyone, I shouldn't put that out there, but, right, right, but right. people in your field are really, are the most interested in what you're writing about. Right. Um, so yeah, it's pretty intense. Um, but, you know, even though I'm relatively new to it, given I've been in the field for like 15 years, I guess. Um, and I've worked in all sorts of capacities, different types of places. I feel like, wow, I have 15 years of experience in media. Of course, I, I'm prepared for this. Um, so yeah, I just gave you my resume. Do I get the job? Absolutely. You're hired. <laughs> Tell me though. Okay. So journalism. Great. Love it. Love all of that. Love that. There's so many, uh, Maryland, so many of my friends are University of Maryland people, not just my friends from New Jersey, but my friends that live here in town. And I feel like it's just great training ground for lots of uh, just really fun people in my life. Like, I feel like I have most of my conversations center around Maryland in general. But so um, <laughs> that's but what we like to hear. <laughs> it's good. It's all good. I mean, at least you're my you're my state school kind of people. I mean, a kid from Trenton State. Right. I mean, that's just the way that goes. But yeah. tell me, though, um, I love that you do comedy and I love that about you. And that's really the way that we got introduced in the first place. Like Lisa, you should really know Alahe. She does some great reporting. She also happens to be a stand-up comedian. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that is amazing. I want to know more about that. So how did you get into it? How'd you do it? 
Yeah, when I was in, it's something I've always wanted to try stand up. And then when I was in college, like my last year, I had a friend who tried it and I was like, oh, I want to, why don't I do this? Um, so I just signed up for an open mic in DC. And at the time, the comedy scene then, the people who were like the mainstays of the scene have gone on to do some like, they're like nationally known comedians. So it was a really exciting time. Um, yeah, and I just got up there and started doing it. <laughs> and I think because I'm a writer, I understood just the basics around like structure and um, word choice and story, like those things came sort of intuitively to me and I just really loved it and I just kept doing it. Um, after college, I lived in a, in Central America for a year. So when I came back, it it was very on and off after that point. I was a little, to be honest, I was a little self-conscious of my English and <laughs> public speaking because I was like speaking Spanish for a year. Um, but yeah, I was just doing it on and off and, you know, balancing uh, a journalism career, especially when you're in the beginning and you're just working these crazy long hours and covering local journalism which means you're like in town council meetings till like 2 a.m you don't really have the time to be able to perform stand-up but um i really like was able to start buckling down and really doing it seriously like around 2012 13 sure. um and i have to say like the comedy scene the stand-up scene in dc and i hate using the past tense was but <laughs> i should well, say it you know, still is yep, it is um, it will be someday yeah yeah um is really like really robust really exciting when i first started you know there would maybe be one or two decent open mics a week and th that those are spaces where like you're basically working out your material. You have, you need those spaces. It's kind of like the gym or band practice for us. Sure. And, you know, right before the pandemic, I could go and do open, like multiple open mics every night if I wanted to. Is that right? Yeah. It's just, it's really, really lively scene and um, really exciting. Um, you know, New York comics will, will come down to do weekends in DC or perform in DC because it's just like the rooms were so good. The audiences are really great. Um, yeah, just, I remember the last night I performed, because I haven't performed stand-up since the night Tom Hanks, the news broke that Tom Hanks had coronavirus. That feels like a decade ago. Yeah, and I rem <laughs> remember leaving the open mic and receiving all these alerts and everything. Yes. I, I was in just, I was not available to write the story, um, but thank goodness my colleagues were. But yeah, I remember, and I remember going to perform and being quite shocked at how packed the room was. And, you know, like I made a joke about like, oh, working from home and who else here didn't wait until like what waited until 6 p.m. to take a shower today. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> that all of that will be relevant today. Yeah, and permanent. <laughs> yeah, what feels like very permanent lifestyle. Yeah, and, and yeah. yeah when, we, when we were all locking down, we thought it was two to four weeks. Not that we thought that, but I guess like our brains just couldn't even process that. It was so 
so new, so fresh, so different. Now it's like, I mean, I'm sitting here doing a podcast with you in my pajamas for crying out loud. I mean, that's just the way I'm going to do my day maybe. Today. Oh, you're in your pajamas. Oh, I'm yeah. in a full, I'm in a suit. I have makeup on. I've totally washed my hair. Oh my I'm, gosh. I'm not in sweatpants. I, I feel promise. like a failure. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a failure. Are you going to, this is you, why we do a bod podcast and not a video call. That's that right. Everybody's fresh. Everybody sounds good. As long as you've yeah. got, got the, the, the frogs out of your throat. Do you go to yeah. the office? Do you have to go to the newsroom or are you working from home now? Um, yeah, I'm remote. We're all, I think we're all remote. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been interesting because I also joined a new team, a new beat while also being remote, but it's actually like, I don't know. I think it's worked out pretty well. Like we did all of our election coverage, election night coverage, all remote. Um, I did. It was, it was sad to not be in the newsroom on election night, um, but energy that night, that's a great night to be with people. Yeah. You know? But I will say that like, given how this election went, it may have been for the best because I don't know what time I would have left the mm -hmm. newsroom. Cause I remember just that whole week I basically was working the whole time. So maybe it was for the best, you know, we didn't really have a result that we didn't have a result that night. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was the one time where it was like, Oh yeah, I miss, I, I remember this energy and this buzz. Um, but yeah, I've just been remote and have not been doing stand up. I mean, uh, some of my friends are still doing stand up, whether it's like, you know, for some people that's their livelihood. So they have to figure out a way to do it that's or right. they're doing outside shows or even like zoom comedy shows. And I haven't really done any of that, but I found a replacement for the thrill that I used to experience from performing stand up, mm -hmm. And that? that is making vaccine appointments for old people. Oh girl. <laughs> oh, that's really not very funny. That's actually probably the no. opposite. Is it? No, it's a it's an amazing feeling to be able to because I don't know if you've tried to navigate the system in D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, but it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of like a video game and trying to get Hamilton tickets, like a combination <laughs> of the two. And so, like you know, I feel like reporters are very well positioned to navigate this system because you know, we are professional, we're people who professionally like come to a topic, don't know anything about it, figure it out. We often have to deal with like weird websites or clunky websites. Um, and I've sort of figured out how a lot of them work. And so it started with me helping some family members and then helping my friends, parents and their friends. Um, and like the thrill that you get from getting an appointment for someone is just I mean, I really recommend it. That's so <laughs> it great feels to know. so good to make an appointment for someone who needs it. Um, and then they're so grateful and you just feel like, wow, you're like, yeah. So you're anyway, making a big difference. You are. Yes, you're definitely making a big difference. I mean, selfishly, it's just like the biggest thrill to get these appointments for people. Well, Yeah, because the process is so different. And I and I suspect that probably it's different in Maryland and D.C. and Virginia. Like every single one of them has a different set of hurdles and obstacles to get around. Well, it's that. And also now, you know, these private pharmacies are offering it. So each of these entities have their own websites and systems. So there isn't like, like if you're in Virginia, you could try and get an appointment at CVS or you can wait for Fairfax County to call you to email you or you can try at Giant. And so you there isn't like one place to go to put your name down and like you 
you'll be able to get access to all of them. You have to sort at this point, the way it is now, you have to go seek it out. And so, yeah, it's like a whole maze of it. But, um, but yeah, if anyone's listening and Wahe's <laughs> you, in the scheduling business, she's <laughs> like, well, no, no. What I was going to say is I encourage you to get into the scheduling oh, I see. business I see. Okay. to just check in on people in your life. And if you've been successful for yourself or your family, then like see who else might need help. But yeah, that's, so instead of doing standup, that's what I do now. I make vaccine appointments for people. <laughs> Girl, so much has changed. <laughs> Yeah, I never thought I never would have thought how uh, so I know your folks own a restaurant and and are they still in the restaurant business? This COVID thing has been difficult on small businesses like them. Yeah, so um, my dad closed his restaurant Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, But in his case, it was like, we were wondering when our dad was going to retire. I get it. it. (laughs) Like it was was like helped him in his decision. I mean, we were joking that it took a global pandemic for our dad to finally decide to retire. Um, <laughs> but like, that's what it took him. But a force uh, of nature, a true actual force of nature. Truly, truly. So, so yeah, um, that's kind of the situation they're in. So they're fortunate in that sense that um, you know that's they weren't in another situation. And yeah, yeah, yeah it is difficult on on a lot of people in many different ways. Um, but it's, I also like feel like, you know, this past year has been so challenging, but we're at a point now where we can kind of see like the turn, like we're so close, it yep. feels like. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, how can we be patient just a little bit longer? So all those sacrifices were for naught, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. You look at states like Texas that are that are making sort of quick and rash decisions to open and, and it makes you scratch your head like we've got this close. Why would we why would we risk it now? And I also just wonder how it feels in Texas, given like all of the, I wrote a story about Texas journalists a couple weeks ago when they were having all their weather emergencies and just a really unprecedented um, situation. Um, So many people without heat, you know, there were people who died as a result of this. Um, And so I don't know, there's just a lot happening in Texas right now. Um, And it's, you know, I also remember it's not just a tech, like, what Texas decides to do around masking and all those things, it does impact everyone else. Like these aren't just, you know, people travel or like, you know, when restrictions relax, there's a question around whether variants will emerge. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, it's also funny how we've all become low key epidemiologists. Uh, Like like we're like, okay, what's the variant here? Like what's uh, the percentage? So many, so many words and phrases that we never would have had in our vocabulary have entered in between the mask and the social distance and the variant and et cetera, et cetera. There's so many new words in our, in our world today. Allah, I always try to ask my guests uh, before I let them go two quick questions Uh, because uh, your performance schedule has changed your ability to get out and do what you love to do. What are you most looking forward to doing this weekend? Uh, what am I most? Uh, <laughs> Getting rest I'm, is a fine answer too, girl. I'm most looking forward to resting. And if the weather is nice, going outside for a walk. I yeah. think we've all also become low-key weather men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I look at the forecast and plan my life around it so I can make sure to be outside. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Let's hear it for spring. Get here already. Yes. Exactly. So close. Yes. So we're going to be, yeah, it won't be, won't be long now. Uh, and then my final question is, who would you most like to see as a future guest for the podcast? I 
always like to hear from Kelsey Snell at NPR. Um, I love her Twitter feed. Um, we're friends, and I I haven't told her I was going to suggest her okay. for this. That's okay. But she and also this is a look, this really... is a very easy nomination. You can accept or you can say I'm going to recommend somebody else. Totally fine. Yeah. And one of the reasons is like, she's a great reporter. Um, It'd be cool to hear about someone trying to report from home who works for NPR, like how do you record? And also she just has some really great tweets about uh, being the mother of a young child working from home during a pandemic. So I love all that perspective. And I, those people are, those people are earning all of, all of the extra kudos because those little people need so much attention. I have teenagers in my house, so they barely care if I'm around They're I mean, they basically check in for breakfast and lunch. Uh, but (laughs) yeah, there you go. You know, they need food and and it's mostly in the fridge. So I'm just like, go find something for yourselves, people. Uh, but the little guys need a lot more attention. So I'll reach out to Kelsey. Thank you for that nomination. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, I was thinking about, should I get a dog? But then I'm looking at how much work this requires and I'm like, I can't even handle that. I'm just going to watch canine intervention on Netflix instead I feel like of getting of those, a dog. All of, all of those good, all of those good pet shows have become my like, oh, this is a good one. Let's watch this. It's not talking about the disease. It's not talking about politics. This is easy on my brain. I'll do one of those. Those are better. Yeah, totally. And then I also can just, instead of caring for an animal, I can just watch other people caring for it. Well, Alahi, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure to get to catch up and say hello. And I'm hopeful for you that things change around and pandemic lightens up and we have the opportunity to see you do some stand-up again soon. Because girl, I know, I know people are going to be flocking to get out there and see you do what you do best. Yeah, hopefully. Thanks, Lisa. You bet. Have a good one. And that's today's episode of the Friday Reporter. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing Podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.